Now, if you weren't here last week and you consider this church home, then I'd really strongly encourage you to make sure that you catch up with last week's message, because really it was the foundation, it was a launch pad for everything that we're looking at over these next few weeks. So Jesus is. Today, we're looking at this truth, and the fancy word uh, for the study of Jesus is simply this word Christology. Now, as I said last week, don't be put off by all the thoughts of ologies. We're going to look at them uh, over the uh, coming year, which just literally is about understanding why we believe what we believe. But when we talk about ology, that word simply means the study of. Okay, as we talked about last week, biology, most of you did that at school. I explained my journey with biology, but I actually got kicked off the course, but that's another story for another day. Uh, But biology means the study of living things. Psychology simply means the study of the human mind. So Christology, hopefully you're kind of working out how this, even if you're pretty slow, you've probably caught on to this in this moment. Christology is simply the study of Christ. It's simply the study of Jesus. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we taking a few weeks to study who Jesus was and is today? As I said last week, it's not so that we just want to have a whole load of information in our heads and feel really brainy about who Jesus is and look down our noses at people who don't know so much. It's not that we're doing it for the sake of it. It's not because we're prepping you for a big quiz at the end of the year where you're going to have to sit an exam. The reason we're doing this is because of life change. Because when you understand more of who Jesus is, it will benefit your relationship with him. right? If you don't know who someone is, you won't really get the fullness of that relationship. But when you understand who Jesus is, all of a sudden you'll see the benefits in your life. When you understand who Jesus truly is, you'll understand the mission and the purpose that he has for your everyday life. When you understand your salvation, we're going to look at that in coming months, then you'll live in the power and the good of that, that you'll live an overcoming, victorious life. And so we are in this series posing the question, who is Jesus? Now, as I said last week, if you were around, if you ask that question out there on the streets or in your neighborhood or in your friendship circles, in your workplace, if you said, who is Jesus? you'd get a whole lot of different answers, right? As we said last week, all the way from people just use him as a swear word to some people believe that he existed because history records it, but they don't really believe he was the son of God through to others who believe that he died, but he didn't rise again. There's so many different responses to that question, who is Jesus? And in this series, we're taking time not to just listen to public opinion, but to look at biblical revelation of who Jesus is. Now last week, we looked at this truth that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A couple of things we looked at last week, we spoke about the truth that Jesus has always existed, right? He is eternal, that he wasn't just made by God to be sent 2,000 years ago. He has always existed. We spoke about the fact that he fulfilled so many prophecies about becoming Messiah, So in the Old Testament, and the Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament, in the Old Testament, which was written hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before, they predicted precise things about the coming of Jesus. And uh, if you want to know more on that, we've got some handouts today at the back uh, of the room that you can take away. And it shows all the prophecies and all the predictions of the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. We spoke about the fact that Jesus does not and cannot change. That word immutable, which is just a fancy word for saying he will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And so we ended up by understanding that what Jesus said remains, who he is is consistent, and what he did he continues to do today. Amen? And so if you weren't around last week, again, I strongly encourage you to catch up with that via our website or the Family Church app. Now today, we're going to move on to talk about the fact that Jesus was and is fully man and fully God. When you're asking this question, who is Jesus? And some of you are hearing this for the very first time. We need to understand that one of the key answers is that he was 100% man and at the very same time he was 100% God. Now that may sound kind of strange. That may sound difficult to compute and get our heads around. But just because something's difficult to understand doesn't mean it's not true or reality, right? Sometimes we hear things and we, our brain's like, how is that true? How, do, how, how does that happen? Yet the reality is that it's still fact. For example, did you know, I learned this week, that Australia is wider than the moon? Fun fact for you to speak about over your tea tonight. Australia is wider than the moon. Now, before somebody comes up to me after and goes, well, actually, the sphere area is, is wider. Yeah, yeah, it's got more surface area. But by dimension, it's wider than the moon. Here's one that is for some of you. This is going to rock your world, okay? You can continually see your nose, but your brain blocks it out. Your nose is continually seen but your brain manages to ignore it. Even one this size, my brain manages... <laughs> you weren't meant to laugh, that's cruel. <laughs> We're not staying here for lunch. We're, we'll, go, we'll go to have a beef eater. Your brain manages to... Fo- because it's, it's this scientific term... Now remember, I got kicked off science. It's called unconscious selective attention. I was, I was kind of expecting a... Ooh. That's, that's it. Which basically means that you're, you're, you can always see your nose, but your brain blocks it out because it sees other things as more important, and so it prioritizes those things. I mean, just because something's difficult to get our head around doesn't mean it's not true. Now, don't spend the rest of the, the message just like trying to see your nose, okay? Because I will point you out, but some of you are going to be like, wow, it's true, look, look, it's true, I can see it, I can see it. Just because something's difficult doesn't mean it's not true. And when we talk about Jesus is fully man, fully God, some people end up confused as to how the same can be true at the same time. How can they both be true? How could our divine creator become a human? And could a first century Jewish man really be God? Now next week we're going to focus on the fact that God became human, that God had to clothe himself in skin. And we're going to look at why he had to do that and why he chose to do that, why Jesus had to be like man and be a man in order to die for man. Fancy word for that is called incarnation. We're going to look at that next week. But this week, we're going to look at something called the deity of Jesus. Again, in simple terms, it means the truth that Jesus was fully God. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that, and we're going to end by talking about what difference it makes to our lives today in the year 2024. Now, in the early church, There was some disagreement around this at times. There was a lot of false teaching that was saying Jesus wasn't God and all that kind of stuff. And so one day the the early church leaders came together and they wrote something that was called the Nicene Creed. Some of you would have heard of this, the Nicene Creed. And I want to read this to you, part of it, as to how they described Jesus. It's going to come up on the screen. It's a little bit wordy, but just stick with it because I want you to see what they got revelation of. So this is how they described Jesus. They said he's the son of God, the only begotten of the father, that is, 
of the substance of the Father. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, Jesus was not made, he has always existed, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came to be, those things that are in heaven and those things that are on earth, who for us men and our salvation came down and was made flesh and was made man, suffered, rose the third day, ascended into the heavens and will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you look around, you think, I have no idea what that's going on about. But the, the main thing to take away from that is this, that they understood that Jesus is fully God. They got together, they uh, overcame some wrong teaching, and they came out of that saying, Jesus is fully God. But we need to understand that they didn't just make this up because it's what they wanted to believe. They were able to agree with that and write that with confidence because of what Scripture declares because of what Jesus said about himself, and because of the life that Jesus demonstrated and he lived. So let's look at that together this morning. Let's start with the Bible part. And as I said last week, just stick with me as we go through this. There's a number of verses, there's a number of teaching points, but just stick with me because we're going to the destination of how this affects your life. Let's start off with the Old Testament. And we said last week that in the Old Testament, there were so many things prophesied or predicted that Jesus fulfilled in his life. So Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, this is often mentioned at Christmas time. And remember this was written about 700 years before Jesus actually came to the earth. Some of this Jesus has already fulfilled, other bits he will fulfill in the future. And it says this, for a child is born to us. Now that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. We remember that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, placed in the manger. A child is born to us. But we've also got to understand that a son was given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now in this prophecy we're shown for a number of different things that Jesus is fully God. Let me explain. When we read these words, we read wonderful. And in English it's just kind of, it's wonderful. Whereas in the original language, in the Hebrew, this is what it meant. He meant a miracle, a marvelous thing. It says that he's mighty God. In the Hebrew, it meant that he is powerful, a warrior, a champion. It says everlasting father. In the Hebrew, it meant this, a continuous existence of past and future times. Like we said last week, Jesus has never been created. He has always been. He is eternal. And it says prince of peace, shalom. That word means completeness, safety, soundness, health. Not only peace from war, but peace with God in covenant relationships. Something that only Jesus could do. So the Old Testament prophesied Jesus as a coming Messiah who was fully God. Let's look at the New Testament, some things that are written there. Colossians 1 verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So Jesus, who's always existed, is the visible image of the invisible God. A simple way of saying that, he's God with skin on, is who he is. Colossians 2 verse 9, For in Christ, who is Jesus, lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Paul again underlining that Jesus was and is fully God and at the same time fully man. 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, God was manifested in the flesh. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. 
He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the Old Testament predicted it. The New Testament teaches it. Jesus himself spoke about being fully God. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says this, I and my Father are one, claiming to be God. Now again, when Jesus said these things, the religious of the day were like, how dare you say this stuff? But he was saying, I and the Father are one. He also said something similar in John 17, 11, for those taking notes. So the evidence is building here. We're seeing more and more evidence. Let's look at the moment when Jesus came to the earth. And we know the moment that suddenly there was an angel that appeared to the shepherds. And if you've ever seen a nativity play or been involved in a nativity play, this is a moment where the angel comes and the shepherds are there. And the shepherd says these words that are recorded in Luke chapter 2. It says, For to us today it is born in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. So the angel announces Jesus' birth and he says, He's a Saviour. He will save the people from their sins. He is Christ, which remember we said last week is not Jesus' surname, okay, and some were actually surprised by it. It's not Jesus Christ, his names aren't, his initials aren't JC, he is for Christ and his name is Jesus. He is for Christ, he is anointed one of God. And then it says, and he is Lord. Now we've got to understand that the angel wasn't referring to him in a way saying, Lord, of, of reverence, right? He wasn't saying, oh, oh, you're the Lord, as in, you know, when we see the, the house of lords, whatever you might think of those people, the house of lords, they are called lords as a sign of respect, as a kind of reverence. If you ever watch, how many people watch The Apprentice on BBC One? You know Lord Sugar, and that's what they, they call him just as a, as a sign of reverence. But the angel wasn't saying that, because that word in the original language was the word add-on which is what um, servants would have called their masters in that day. But he uses this word curious. And curious was only ever used when referring to God. So the angel comes and he says, this baby that's been born in Bethlehem, you need to understand, he is God himself. Nine months earlier, when the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth, and the Bible, I love the way the Bible says, she was greatly surprised, where you kind of would be if an angel just appeared to you and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and it just puts it so politely. She was quite surprised or something like that. But the angel says to Mary, you will give birth to a son, etc., etc., and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're starting to build up a stack of evidence here from Scripture. There's many more examples in the Bible. Twice in Jesus' life... God calls him his son, once at his baptism, once at the transfiguration of Jesus. There's so much in the Bible, we're just scratching the surface here. Old Testament, New Testament, that speak of Jesus being fully God. So scripture records it, but Jesus also demonstrated it by the life that he lived and the things that he did. Here's just a couple of things, we could look at loads, let's just pick two. The miracles and the healings that he did demonstrated he wasn't just an ordinary man. He wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. He carried the power of God. The other huge thing is that he had the authority to forgive sins. Now there's a moment, let's, re- let's read it together. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. You're still with me this morning? Yeah. Stick with me because we're getting to the point of how this makes a difference to you. Jesus had this moment where he healed somebody and also forgave them of their sins. And you read this, the religious, as always, got super upset with Jesus because of what he was doing and who he was claiming to be. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1. 
It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him because of a crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man the, the, mat, the man was lying on. And if you've ever been involved in kids' church, or you remember years ago being in Sunday school, this is the one where you'd always have like a craft, you'd cut it out, and the man would just pop up and down, up and down like that. So he lands at Jesus' feet, and when Jesus saw their face, faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's what he intended to do. He said, your, your, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They understood that only God had the power to forgive sins. Immediately, I love this, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Imagine being around, you've got to be really careful what you're thinking around Jesus in these moments. Because they're thinking, oh, who does he think he is? And Jesus says to them, why are you thinking those things? I mean, imagine that moment when you're thinking that about Jesus and Jesus turns around and you've said nothing. He says, why are you thinking that? Oh, sorry, Jesus. Why are you thinking these things? What is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out of in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins as God. He healed people, and he did miracles as God. So through the healings, through the forgiveness of sins, through many other actions, Jesus demonstrated his deity, that he was fully God as well as being fully man. Now that's all... Well and good. We looked at Scripture. We looked at the Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus' life. You may say, well, well, thanks for that Bible study. That's really good. But what difference does it actually make? Does it really matter whether Jesus was fully God or not? My response to you is absolutely this matters. number of reasons we could look at. Let me just look at two this morning. The first one is this. If Jesus is God, if, if Jesus is God with skin on, if he is the invisible made visible, then Jesus shows us what God the Father is like. Remember what we just read in Hebrews. He's the exact representation of the Father. He is like a copy. He is, he is God. Jesus shows us a number of things about God the Father. First one is this, that God is kind. Right? You look at the life of Jesus, he would reach out to people. He was gentle. He was all these things that we've sung a moment ago. He was gentle. He was generous. He was loving. He was kind. Now, why is that important? Because that corrects a lot of false narrative out there in the world that you're told in the workplace or from your friendship circles about who God is. That people say, God is cruel. God is a wicked old man out there to making everyone's life a misery. God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to enjoy life. God's a joy stealer. No, no, no. When we understand who Jesus was and is, we understand who our heavenly father is, right? Yeah. What else do we learn? God isn't religious. 
You say, well, how do you know that? Because every time Jesus had an issue with somebody, it was never with those on the outskirts or those being persecuted. It was always with the religious. He says, you're doing all this religious performance, but your hearts are wicked. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He didn't care what he said. He, he always came up against religious. Why? Because God is not religious. God is a relational God, amen? God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want religious performance from you. Now don't mishear me, we should always carry an awe of who God is. We should always come before him with reverence. But God wants relationship from you. He doesn't want you performing like a, like a performing seal of religious activity. God is love. The Bible shows us through Jesus' life that Jesus' love is personal. It's self-sacrificial. It's faithful. Jesus demonstrates for his life through what he said and by how he acted. This is who God is. God is kind. God is not religious. He is relational. He is love. And when somebody comes alongside you and says, well, this is who your God is. When people try to teach you this is who your God is, you can understand, no, I know who my God is because Jesus came to this earth. He was God with skin on and he was kind and he was loving and he was relational and he reached out to those on the fringes I know who my God is because when we see the son we see the father so many more things we could look at if time allowed the second vital reason why this is important is that Jesus was fully God and Jesus had to be fully God in order for his death to mean something he had to be God in order for his death to mean something. Now next week we're going to look at the flip side of that. But he also had to be fully man in order for his death to mean something as well. But let's look at the God part today. If Jesus was not God, if Jesus was just a good teacher, if Jesus was simply a carpenter from Nazareth who led a revolution, who somehow did these miracles, and you may say, well, well, maybe they were exaggerated, or maybe they were made up, or maybe he had the gift of illusion and all these kind of different things. If he was just a carpenter who was then crucified by the Romans for his crimes, if he was not God, then his death would have never been enough to pay for the penalty of the sins of mankind. It would never have been enough. If he was just a man, he would only ever have been able to die for one man. A life for a life. But because Jesus was and is the creator of all life, because he is the sustainer of all life, his sacrificial death was enough to cover all sins for all time. Amen? Do we believe that this morning? Because Jesus was fully man and fully God, when he went to the cross, he represented both and they came together in reconciliation. This is huge. The Apostle Paul knew that to be true. Listen to these words, Romans 10 verse 9. He says, If you acknowledge and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Remember that word Lord means God. It's to be speaking about his deity. If you confess and you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you recognize his power, if you recognize his authority, if you recognize his majesty as God, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus has to be fully God because otherwise there's no hope for your salvation. Here's the good news. Jesus is fully God and his death, burial and resurrection changed everything forever. That there is now no longer any fear of death. There now is no longer any need for separation. Because of his death, we can be reunited in relationship with the Father. 
and we can be saved. Amen? Is that good news this morning? Some of you need to convince yourself. Is that good news this morning? Amen. Who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God. Jesus is God with us. He is God in the flesh, God with skin on, however you want to term it. And the Old Testament predicted it. And the New Testament teaches it. Jesus spoke about it. Jesus demonstrated. And it matters for so many different reasons. Two of those being because when we understand who Jesus is, we understand who our Heavenly Father is. And without Jesus being God, his death would mean nothing. Final question I want to look at in this moment. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Like we could come here, we could talk about this, we could know a bit more theology, we could think, oh yeah, it matters because of that. But what difference does it make to your life and to my life here in Lee Park in 2024? What difference does it make to me and you today? Here's some things of how it makes a difference. The first one is this. When you understand all of this, you suddenly have a confidence about your salvation. When you understand that Jesus is fully God, you understand you have a confidence about your salvation. Do you know there are so many people in this world today who have such a fear of death? For years in my life, I had such a fear. It would wake me up at night. I had such a fear of death for what's the other side of his life. But for those who, as Roman 10 puts it, for those who recognize that Jesus is Lord, for those who recognize his power, his authority, his majesty is God, for those who believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We can have a confidence about our salvation and our eternal destination. That's why when I've done funerals in, in recent years of people who are part of our congregation, of Pat Brook, of, of, of Rose Hursthouse, of, of, of Pete Johnson, of people like that, there's a, there's a sadness in my heart naturally as I go to do those funerals, but there's a joy and there's a hope and an expectation because this is not a fairy tale. There is a heaven and there is a hell and as they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we know that they are ruling and reigning with the one Christ Jesus today. Amen? This is not made up. There's a confidence in my heart that as I do those funerals, yes, uh, yes, I, I, I mourn. Yes, there's a sorrow within me naturally, but there's a hope and an expectation and actually a joy that they are seated in heavenly places as we are, but they are with him in all of eternity. We will be saved. Jesus has paid the price that you can have entrance into eternal life. And all he requires of you is a belief a faith in what he has done. What difference does it make? It gives you a desire to serve him in his kingdom. Because all of a sudden, it's not just about having a ticket to heaven. Yes, you get your entrance to heaven. That's not what it's about. Suddenly, we understand that we've been given a life on this earth to live. Suddenly, we understand my life is not my own. It's no longer I who lives, Paul says, but Christ who now lives in me. Suddenly, we gain a desire to serve Jesus and to live for his kingdom. What difference does it make? Suddenly we get a yearning to worship him. When you understand he's fully God, when you understand what he's done for you, suddenly you get a desire to worship him. Now remember, worship is not just singing songs on a Sunday morning alone. That's one aspect, or I'm going to say minor, it's not minor, but one aspect 
of what it means to worship Jesus. You can worship Jesus every single day of your life by the way that you live, by the attitudes that you have, by the forgiveness that you extend, by the way that you handle your time and your finances, by the way that you live and and choose to do your relationships. It's a worship of him that comes out of an understanding of who he is. Here's the final one. What difference does it make that Jesus is God? Suddenly we get an understanding of our value. Helen, you can come up. We're going to pray as we end. But I just want to end with this thought. But when you understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is fully God, suddenly you get an understanding of your value. When we understand that Jesus, fully God, stepped out of heaven, stepped out of eternity and chose, chose, he wasn't made, chose to come to this fallen, broken messed up world sin scarred world chose to come as one of us as we'll look at next week for the sole purpose of enabling a relationship with the Father when we understand he was willing to die a cruel painful horrific death for us we begin to understand our value in the sight of that God you say well yeah yeah but I've read the Bible it says for God so loved the world There are billions of people alive right now. There are billions of people who have lived before. So yeah, I'm just wrapped up in all of this. God so loved the world. Yeah, he did so love the world and so loves the world. But actually Jesus, through the stories that he told, through the life that he lived, demonstrated that actually he didn't just see the world, he saw the one. He saw the individual. When Jesus walked the earth, he would tell stories. He was a master storyteller. He would tell these things called parables. And in Luke chapter 15, he tells three amazing stories about things that were lost being found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And he tells this story. Now he tells this story because the religious were upset that he was sitting and eating with notorious sinners. I chuckled when I read that this week. I'm like, how bad do you have to be to be a notorious sinner? Like, not just a sinner, not, not just slightly bad. He was a notorious sinner. I, I feel like before I came, to, I, I was in the mix of the notorious sinners. That's why I've got empathy for notorious sinners. Some of you are like, then the notorious sinners. No, no, no. Jesus loves the notorious sinners. Amen. And so because he was hanging around with the notorious sinners, however bad they were, whatever line that was, Jesus looked at them and the religious were looking down their nose and saying, if he is fully God, why would he be hanging around with this scum? Some translations actually say scum. And Jesus in response says, let me tell you a story. And he tells these stories and he tells about this one lost sheep, this shepherd who had a, a hundred sheep. And he looks around and he realizes that one, one is lost. And so he steps out of what he's known And he comes in search of that one lost sheep. He could have said, oh, I've got the rest. It's just one. He's wandered away. He's done his own thing. He's he's become the notorious. I'll just leave that one lost sheep. But he talks about the shepherd who goes out of his way, steps out of what he's known and reaches that one lost sheep. And he gives this amazing picture when you read it. Many people have painted it to try and show it in picture form of this shepherd coming back with this lamb, this sheep upon his shoulders and walking back. And he tells of the joy that there is when this one lost sheep that was lost has now been found. And he says this, in the same way, 
there is so much rejoicing when one lost person comes to a knowledge of the Father. That which was lost had been found. Jesus left heaven. He stepped into this world for the lost. I was that lost one. I was that broken one. I was that one that went my own way. I was that one that probably religious would go, what's he doing now? Who does he think? I was that one and so were you. And Jesus stepped out of heaven as we'll look at next week. God with skin on into this world. Now here's the thing. When Jesus tells those stories, there's a common theme. He says there was one lost sheep. There was one lost coin. There was one son who went astray. Why? Because he wanted to say to the religious, my father in heaven places value upon the one. Upon the one that went astray. And that's the value that he places on you. That's how much he loves you and is so desperate to be in relationship with you. For yes, God so loved the world, but God so loved you that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not go to a lost eternity without him, but would have, as we said about those people that we've seen them past, but we celebrate where they are today, you would have that knowledge of eternal life with him. Let's just close our eyes in this place this morning and just before we close and before we get tables out and feast and have food together and get to know each other a little bit more, just before we close this service down, there's one final thing I want to do and I want to give an invitation for any single person here today who has never come home, who has never been found, who has never begun a relationship with Jesus. This man who was fully man but fully God. He was not some ordinary carpenter. He was the son of God who died for you so that you could have access to your heavenly father and your creator. Today I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with him. And I always say you won't understand everything overnight but you will understand the answer to a few questions. Why am I alive? Is there a purpose to my life? And what will happen to me the day that I breathe my final breath? All of those three questions are answered in Jesus and a relationship with Him. So let's pray this prayer, church. Let's all pray it together. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for sending Your Son who lived as a man but was fully God. I believe that He died for me, for my sin, He was buried in the grave. And three days later, he was risen again. I believe in you, Jesus, and what you have done for me. Please forgive my past. I give you my future. Amen. Just keep your eyes closed in this place. If that's you and you say, yes, for the very first time, I want to begin this relationship, then Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to embarrass you, put a microphone in your face. What I'm going to ask you, if that's you, just prepare your heart and just in this moment of saying yes to God, begin in a relationship with Him, why don't you just raise your hand in this moment? I promise you, we won't embarrass you. We just want to give an opportunity for anybody here today who's never begun a relationship with Jesus in this moment. 
as we close the service down, just raise your hands and we just want to pray for you and rejoice with you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, you say, that's me as well. I want to begin this relationship. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this response. We thank you for the one which was lost now being found. Father, we thank you that in you we have hope. In you we have joy. In you we have everything that we need. And Lord, I just pray for this person that you would just surround them with just great people who would speak your life into their walk. Father, just prevent them from being around religious people who pull them away from who you are, Jesus. But let everything that's spoken to this person just bring truth and joy and, and resonate in their life, we pray. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you for who Jesus was and is and continues to be for us. And Jesus, we just want to say this when we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for the life that you have given to us. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Come on, let's rejoice this morning for what God has done.